Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is C.M. Alexander with the news. The Dairy Public Library is celebrating writer Scott Landon all month long. We're joining in the fun by starting our own studio book club. Who knows, maybe we'll turn it into a podcast. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, constant readers. And today we are covering part one of Lisey's story. It is our Patreon selection from Robin Nickerson. And we are covering through chapter six with CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. Lisey's story, which it's Lisey's. Figured that out. It's not Lizzie's. <laughs> it rhymes with Cece. Yeah. This is a horror romance novel, which, guys, the last Stephen King horror romance novel that we got was Misery. I'm so, <laughs> so glad that you made that connection because I'm going to bring that topic back to us later. Oh, good. Really? Because mm-hmm. I can't follow <laughs> that logic. <laughs> I can skip my pause for laughter note because you took that seriously. (laughs) (laughs) So we are introduced to... Hold on, you have a pause for laughter note? You're the best. You're legitimately the best person I know. Maybe? (laughs) I wasn't sure if you have guys with me They are your notes. You should be so confident in them. Don't second guess your notes, Sam. It's just how I do. (laughs) Okay, so we are introduced to Lisi as she and one of her four sisters are in her late husband's study. Her husband of 25 years, the famous novelist Scott Landon. And he died two years prior to where we're at now. And Lisi is finally getting around to going through all of his stuff in his study, which is something that I, I think you would very understandably put off. It really does a good job of setting the tone for the book, I think. Mm. And her sister Amanda is there to help in her different way that she has of helping. But something that I thought was really cool, like right off the bat, we come to understand something about Lisi through Scott, who is dead. So she's reflecting on, you know, she's letting Amanda kind of do her thing, even though she can tell Amanda's like waiting for her to say something or ask her what's up. Because Scott would tell her that she's one of her talents is that she's a business minder who didn't mind too much if you didn't mind yours, as long as you weren't a dick about it. What an interesting character trait to give someone. Yeah. Because I'm sure we'll talk about this in a bit, but um, we all started listening via audiobook. Mm-hmm. And when I, once I got this character note about her, it framed a lot of the next few things she said. And then my notes were kind of not favorable to Lisi because you get that, like the, the business minder. And then there are some other things that talk about that. She like never graduated and the incucks that comes from the misunderstanding of a word. And it all led to this thing where I was like, is, is this saying Lisi's dumb? And that's the impression I got right away. And I couldn't be more wrong. Absolutely couldn't be more wrong, come to find out. I also had a difficult time with the tone of the audiobook. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I 
I was hating it. And I started talking to you guys about it. And then one of our listeners on Patreon, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Also, she had mentioned how much she loves this book. And mm. I trust her opinion. We've talked to her a lot <laughs> over the years. And I was like, dang it. Okay, what am I doing wrong? So I listened to all of this twice, hated it both times, and then had to start over and read it and had a completely different perspective. That's interesting because we did talk about this a little bit. And when you two both said, oh, we, we could not listen to the audiobook, uh, that was before I had started. So when I started the audiobook, it wasn't the tone that I thought you two didn't like. Because I think the, I do not know the the voice actress, the reader uh, who reads this book. I thought she does a great job. The thing that I had to stop listening for was the, the language <laughs> that Missy uses. Which I think is made worse through the narrator's tone. I guess that's okay. what I mean. Uh, it's just the way Lissy talks. It never gave me the impression that she was dumb. It's it's just that Stephen King thing that he does where he will give characters that are offbeat or uh, usually they're like little side characters <laughs> that just have a catchphrase. You know, we've talked about it mm -hmm. a million times and it's always jarring because you go Stephen King humans don't talk like this <laughs> like when a character makes up a word instead of using a swear word exactly like in misery and now like, like that's the things different. that any that's that's different <laughs> that is different Thank because you. that is meant as an indication of this person isn't super well yeah and this isn't supposed this to be that. Right. that this is just Lissy has a very cutesy way of talking and a cutesy. like folksy a lot of folksy uh, aphorisms. Is that the word I'm looking I, for? I think I thought about that too. Like that's exactly dead on. I didn't realize that something like that doesn't translate to an audiobook well. Yeah, it is I would so agree much easier that. to read her saying smucking this and smucking that in text. It doesn't yeah. make me want to gag myself. Um, here's <laughs> here's my hot take though. By the end of this section. I find it incredibly endearing. Same. I actually... Absolutely same. At, at first, I was like, having a main character that talks like this is obnoxious. Um, some of the things that she says is like, no, I can't abide by this. But by the end of it, and I'm this is a real uh, only me thought, but the reason I, I decided I liked it you're going to have to just follow me. Anybody watch Bob's Burgers? Casually? I haven't. No. no. So uh, at the start of the book, where we still are, <laughs> um, we meet Amanda, who is Lissy's sister. And as we get to know them, I realized something, that this character is just Gail from Bob's Burgers, <laughs> uh, Linda's sister Gail, who Holy is shit. kind of a kind of a character. Uh, Amanda is described very unfavorably by mm, Missy yes. as like a nutball that she has a history of mental illness. But throughout the book, she just kept reminding me of this character Gail from Bob's Burgers, which made me think, oh, that makes that makes Lissy Linda. <laughs> Linda Belcher, 
And all of the things that she says are absolutely things Linda Belcher would say. And that made me like her more. Okay, I'm... That's terrific! I'm going to have to watch some episodes. I I will send you some good ones. I am suffering having listened through this part we're covering twice. And so (laughs) her voice is still trapped in my head. And I have nothing endearing to compare it to. So I'm still struggling a little bit. But anyway, we're going to move on from that. Just, Just an interesting... Thing that I I like to talk about sometimes because I know a lot of our listeners read prefer to read versus prefer mm-hmm. to listen to the audiobook. Some with reading issues are like, thank God the audiobook exists. And I just wish everybody had all the options. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this is where we get some of that uh, understanding that Lisi has her own special language. It was from her marriage. She and Scott had like this way of communicating with one another. Incunks is something that's going to come up a lot. Would one of you like to describe what an incunk is? Uh, an incunk is what she calls the people who constantly bombard her with wanting to go through Scott's things now that he's passed because it is spun wildly from rumors that there are manuscripts upon manuscripts and short stories and uh, so many things that people want their to get their hands on. Yeah, Scott Landon is uh well first of all the funniest self-insert character <laughs> I've ever read, but also he's described he's not just a famous writer, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. Mm-hmm. He's a big deal. People were studying his like writing while he was still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like, Professor Woodbody that we talk about early on here says that he has like three students writing uh, Scott Landon theses. Yeah. Which is wild. And that's like the only okay thing that this fucker says. <laughs> 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 he is. So we, we hear about these individuals and the worst of them is this Professor Woodbody who Lisi reflects starts off like really nice and is saying the right things. And then as she's kind of giving the vague responses as far as, you know, I'm 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 gonna get to it probably in the next few months. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, but kind of blowing him off, he goes just full psycho. Cause when he boils it down to just because you shared his bed doesn't mean you get to control his talent or something to that. It was something yeah, very like you derogatory. No, you have no yeah. right to, you're just a piece of ass, his wife of 25 years. Mm-hmm. You have no right to dictate what happens with this stuff. And also you didn't go, you didn't even go to college. So you're too stupid to even know what to do with it. Yeah. What I think is interesting is that while, I mean, very clearly this is not Stephen and Tabitha's relationship on paper, which, you know, people I'm <laughs> sure automatically draw that yeah. distinction a little bit. It is kind of cool in well, not cool right now seeing King's perspective on how the wife of a famous author is treated by the general public yeah. who have no idea who she is. Yeah. Cause it just, it just so happens that Lisi doesn't have all those things, but things that uh, there've been times where people have said things about Tabitha that Stephen King has <laughs> corrected. I do infer a lot of like self reflection and yeah. stuff in this, which maybe it's not, but I think it's cool. Also, I just, I really wanted her to stab this guy. Don't kidding. So justified. Just stab him. He's in your house <laughs> talking to you that way. That's your right. So as Lisey's thinking about all the stuff in the room, she thinks about the stuff that's not in the room. And I almost missed this. I don't know what this means yet, but it's very dark. 
she's talking about things that were either destroyed, like the computer monitor, or too badly scratched and dented to be shown. Such an exhibit would raise more questions that it could even answer. Like, any idea yeah, no, what that means Yeah, no, that's super cryptic. <laughs> oh, I just took that as, like, there's a bunch of stuff that's been in here for so long that it's all beat up. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> put any meaning into that. Oh, no, the word destroyed sound, is used. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's it's almost so subtly stated, though, with the exception of the word destroyed, that you kind of pass right over it. And it wasn't until going back the third time, I was like, wait a minute, something terrible happened here. Something has been... This yeah. whole first, like, chapter drops so much on you that you don't mm-hmm. know is important or reflects on anything yet. It's so, for instance, they're talking about all the things they're going through. And it's at this point when we find out that it's not just his office, it's a barn with its own address. Mm-hmm. And so it slowly starts that overwhelming feeling that she has slowly starts to come into more focus as we realize the scope that she is dealing right. with. I thought that was it's really interesting going back and well, kind of like what you said. See, I'm like, I listened to the audiobook, went back and started reading it, and caught those extra details. Yeah. This is where we find out, too, what Amanda's been up to, because she's been lurking along the shelves and doing something with a notebook and a pencil. So she has made 846 entries of of like a potential thousands. And she's giving Lisi a look that usually means someone is going to cry soon, probably going to be Amanda. <laughs> what did you guys think of what Amanda was doing to, in her mind, help out? I'm so glad it's what it is and not what I thought. What did you think? I also, so let's see. If oh, we, what did you guys so, think? <laughs> I thought she was uh, another vulture. Yeah. Oh, I, thought, I didn't I thought even she, think about that. Yeah. Because Lisi says that she doesn't want Amanda to know she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. She's trying to be very secretive. Mm-hmm. And I was very worried that her sister was, you know, taking advantage of the situation. That and the fact that uh, Lissy has how many is it? Four sisters? Yeah, there's five um, of them total. She does not speak of them in glowing terms. They have had a mm-hmm. a rough uh, relationship. And she has said, you know, now that they're older, that they've kind of let bygones be bygones. But their relationship is still kind of fraught. So I thought, oh, is this going to be her older sisters coming in and trying to say we know Help best, themselves, yeah. You know? Ooh. Well, that's fortunately not it. It's actually something else. She has been making these notes of magazines and just print articles and all kinds of things that have featured Scott. And Lisi is in these 846 of them. And there are several of them that Amanda says, do not portray you favorably. And for Amanda, that means because they refer to her as gal pal. (laughs) It's so or, disrespectful. Or not at all. And and but it didn't because Lisey's just sitting there like, oh, cool. There's like memories here waiting for me of things. You know, I haven't seen these since they were taken. Like, this is gonna be so awesome. And she's not at all like on that mindset of being offended about how she's portrayed or not portrayed in these. She's just looking forward to it and just kind of trying to gauge Amanda's mood so that she doesn't say the wrong thing. Because Amanda's like did I do right by pointing out all this stuff to you? <laughs> Which I thought was a cute moment yeah. from Amanda. So there's another really dark, creepy thing here. She's As she's looking at the pictures, 
in these magazines and articles, we get this really interesting and probably important, but I don't quite know what it is yet. Like these tidbits about mirrors and the purple thing with the piebald side, a thing that haunted Scott on sleepless nights. The the purple thing and the piebald side thing are different. The purple thing, if I'm if I'm un- interpreting this correctly, purple thing seems to be what she refers to as like the barrier for memories she's blocked mm-hmm. off. Yeah. And she- then the long boy with the piebald side is what Scott talks about. Well, those are both baffling still. Both still. That didn't yeah. help clear it up. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thing with the piebald side is an extremely Lovecraftian yeah. name that was for my a monster. Note too. Yeah. And the fact that later on, Lizzie does refer to it as the tall boy or what? No, the long, long boy, boy is s- nope. <laughs> such a Lissy. Uh, like I took that as like a oh uh, Stephen King. You almost had a really cool monster name. What? No, <laughs> the words the long, long boy? boy together as something like that I can't even picture is horrifying. Oh, I'm I, horrified. I've listened to too much McElroy content, I think. <laughs> adding the word boy to the end of anything <laughs> makes me laugh. <laughs> there are two things about the long boy that I find very interesting. One is that it's very clearly a name a little kid would give something. Yeah. Because, and the other thing is that, that you don't get from the audiobook is that when every time they say it, it's in quotes and not capitalized. Yeah. And that, for some reason, that wigs it, me out. It is still very, it, it gets, it got me a little <laughs> bit. But the first time that she's like, because the, they keep referring it, uh, to it as the thing with the endless piebald sides. Yes. And it's like, that's really scary. But then she goes, yeah, that that long boy. And I was like, <laughs> that's so silly. Uh, ben, I love how horror is interpreted through your brain. <laughs> So they wrap things up, and later that night, Lisi wakes up from a dream. And this is so brutal. We don't get the dream itself yet. This It's like this double-fold thing of what happens to her in real life is brutal, and then you get this really weird dream. But we she hears this voice, and it's Scott's, saying, I was lost in the dark, and you found me. I was hot, and you gave me ice. And we're going to come to understand much more of that later, but... What's brutal about it is that when she wakes up or thinks she wakes up, she has a moment where she thinks that she just had a dream that Scott was dead and she was cleaning out his study, which I think we can all kind of relate to that feeling. Going through something really horrible and you you wake up in the morning and there's like that moment before you're fully conscious where you don't remember this horrible thing waiting for you and then it hits you and you're like, ugh. There's a moment of peace. Yeah. It's a lie. <laughs> I love this because King does it a few times in this book. Yeah. This this feeling um, later on, we'll get to it, but there's there's an extended flashback uh, mm-hmm. explaining a lot of things that happened uh, in Scott and Lissy, the early years, mm-hmm. you know? And when the flashback ends, she wakes up, she goes to bed in the flashback Mm -hmm. and then opens her eyes and she's like, I don't know when this is. And we, the readers, don't know when it is. (laughs) And it's really cool and gives you the same misplacement in time that she's feeling. You're thrown off. It's a really neat uh, effect 
that uh, that he uses. That's as cool. As we're talking about grief of you know losing a spouse, did you guys just think, oh, this is interesting because we just read Insomnia, and Ralph lost his wife, and we read what Insomnia. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember that one. Huh. Well, I'll tell you about it later, and then uh, we'll go do a thing. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I did think about that, and I think it's interesting to see. We, we've talked plenty of times about King's writing of grief, and mm-hmm. it's very interesting to look at two novels where grieving spouse is a plot point versus the plot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and where where it's happening in time, like I think the most raw grief that we've read, of course, is Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. and then Ralph's was more of an, an acceptance and a, and a loneliness and an aching, and Lisey's is just something else entirely. Lisey's the the state that she's in is is yeah, it's really hard to lock down where she is in her grief because mm-hmm. she still hears Scott in her head and responds to him audibly sometimes mm-hmm. without thinking that obviously he's not in the room. And it's, she's not crazy. She's not thinking Scott's speaking to me. She knows she's using Scott's voice in her head, but it's still Sometimes it's familiar. intrusive and sometimes yeah. she's she's making it happen intentionally, which right. is interesting. So she wakes up kind of from this into another dream and she's floating through her yard on like a, a flower thing. <laughs> it's a big Pillsbur- Pillsbury's best is what it says, right? Yeah. Yeah. It made me think for some reason of the eyes of the dragon and the napkins. I don't know why. <laughs> no, I, I imagine a big like flower sack. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. And this flower sack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's her magic carpet. <laughs> and she's in a huge field, like a vast field of purple flowers. Thinking, Scott, I loved you. I saved you over and over again. And when she wakes up, like actually wakes up, she's repeating those words. She saved him and she got him ice. And this is related to something that happened in Nashville in 1988 at a ribbon cutting, a guy named Dashmeal and a madman. So we flash back to the incident, but before we're told what happens, we flash flashback <laughs> to the be the, it was hard making notes on this to the beginning of their relationship we don't get this is just the the this blood is the bowl. first oh, mention of the blood yeah bowl, is it yeah because this... it's just this it's a very quick snippet yes yeah where she has the she recalls this image of him holding out his hand but his hand is covered in blood and it's the blood bull and then she's like but well, it's, I'm not. I can't think about that right now. And, and it's while she's in the hospital. Mm. So the flash flashback is her being <laughs> in the hospital, flashing back to something else that happened. Sure. And I gotta say, of all of the like Scott isms in this book, uh, as opposed to King isms, that don't work or make me chuckle, the word "bool" is not one of them. That is every he. She says it constantly. Mm-hmm. It is like. Uh, a big deal and every time especially the words blood bull come mm-hmm. up it kind of gives me goosebumps you know why you got goosebumps because you probably subconsciously remember hearing that expression in wizard and glass what what yep is blood bull the end i think is the expression that's in wizard and glass what it's it's a weirdly familiar thing and i think that's Weird. why because that that didn't bother it does me sound either. Very middle I I, earth, earth, used- <laughs> mid world shit. Okay the the thing though the reason I brought this up is because it just has this like beautiful 
like hauntingly beautiful moment in it that sh- so she's this is after he's been shot which we, we were gonna get to she's gonna get to this whole beginning and, is so fucking out of order yeah. right? it's this such a wild crazy structure. i'm so sorry sam okay. yeah so sorry it, it, it's crazy i didn't realize until now when we're trying to work through it mm-hmm. chronologically how unchronological i know i nearly i nearly approached it chronologically but bear with me <laughs> bear with me because i have a reason for bringing this up She's in a hotel by the hospital by herself because he's still being cared for. And she's thinking about how the darkness loves Scott. He dances with it like a lover and the moon comes up over the purple hill. We get this purple hill thing again. And what what was sweet smells sour, smells like poison. And then she thinks about when she was a kid and she loved the dark too because her mom told her there's nothing bad in the dark and she believed her. So on stormy nights, she'd be like, Hey, somebody give me a flashlight. I'm going to like stay up and walk around the house in the dark. <laughs> and I don't know if that's important yet, but it's it's just interesting. They have this, this similar kind of feeling about darkness. Ben, you're giggling. <laughs> Stephen King is such a fucking dork. I love, <laughs> I love him. It's just funny to me that this, this book is for Tabitha. That's, it is dedicated to mm-hmm. Tabby in the front of the book. And it is, you know, we've mentioned you're brought to the front of your mind that, like, this is him writing from, you know, maybe some experience. Scott Landon feels like him writing about himself, in my opinion. Yeah. And everything like this, the he's in love with the dark, is just him describing himself from his wife's point of view. (laughs) I can just imagine him writing this and, like, sitting back and being like, Fuck yeah, I am cool. <laughs> I, oh God, Ben, I wish you hadn't done that because the very next note I have, I have to oh, apologize no. to Mr. King. So we find out that Lisi was Scott's first. He'd never been able to get a, a full-on erection. Hit the boner talk sting. With anyone else. <laughs> and oh, this is what I was talking about. We go back to the beginning of the relationship briefly. Mm. And he tells her that when he's in bed with her that first night, he's telling her that he feels like he's home and... The thing in the dark that gets closer is gone and it can come back, but it can't stay so he can finally go to sleep. And that's Scott's love story. Like that's how he knew that he loved her. He's like this 80s goth singer in a band. (laughs) (laughs) I also hear a few things that are going to come back. Uh, Daddy's prize was a kiss, which freaks me out. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to find out what that's about. (sighs) Yeah, it's touched on later but not really explained so we don't know yet what really stands out those throughout their marriage she talks about trying to keep him safe but in the end scott's thing had come back for him the thing he sometimes glimpsed again in mirrors in water glasses and reflections the thing with the piebald side the long boy and this i i'm still trying to figure out is this actually like a spooky horror story thing that this book is going to do or yeah. is it a metaphor for Scott's mental state? Is there a literal monster in this book or not? We don't I know don't yet. Know. I'm very excited to find out. But whatever his fear is, whether real mm. or imagined, it has infected Lisi because at the end, we end this section with her laying in the dark alone and wondering if that thing is watching her. Yeah, she, her, his, <laughs> his thoughts are so, he's so charismatic. Infectious. That they yeah. infect other people because, like, she she thinks about how he has this weird superstition about night food. 
that like if you gremlin rules yeah, basically <laughs> that you you don't want to eat between 10 midnight and, and six. midnight and 6 uh because most food is poisoned by then and it's like yep. what does that mean bud that's sad yeah do some of my best snacking sometimes between <laughs> midnight and, six. and what if you work different shifts uh, yeah bud? i work i work third shift i <laughs> Just out of luck. I have, I have a theory. <laughs> yeah, do it. I think this thing and the rules about the food are because we we know later we find out, God, we're all over the place. We find out his brother, <laughs> his little brother is dead. Mm-hmm. And I think their dad was abusive and they spent nights on the run outside of the house and very like talisman way. Like they're a thinny. And this place is a real place somewhere. That's why his description in his head is is so accurate. And between the hours of 12 and 6, the, the night when they were sleeping out in the woods to stay away from their dad, that's when the fruit off the trees was poisonous. That's why they couldn't hmm. just live there forever, maybe. I don't know. Have you guys seen the movie Frailty? No. With Matthew McConaughey. A long time ago. And Is it Bill Paxton? Yeah. It, Bill Paxton's the Dad. dad. Yes, it is this amazing movie about a dad who, like the whole movie, you're trying to figure out, and it's flashing back. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is an adult, and he's being interrogated by the police, and he had a brother, and you find out in his childhood, the dad was like, had gone crazy one day, like the mom had died, and he started telling them that there are all of these demons and stuff, and teaching them how to spot demons in people, and, and kidnapping people, and killing them, and involving his children. Holy shit! In the movie, I, I won't spoil anything, but it plays this so straight that you are sitting there going, "Is it real or not? Is <sighs> the dad crazy, or are there demons?" It's I'm very have to watch good. This movie. And as you were talking, it made me think something like, "Okay, so that's yeah. my my theory too." Uh, frailty, anyway. <laughs> And that's Frailty, the 90s movie starring Bill Paxton, gets the DPR seal of approval. (laughs) So the next day, Lisi opens the magazine related to the 1988 incident, and there's a photograph. Would one of you like to describe what this photograph is? (laughs) This photograph has no idea what's happening. (laughs) Um, It is taken after we find out what happens there. uh, The security guard is holding the commencement shovel... We see Dash Meal in the background, and Lisey's, the heel of her shoe is in frame, and it's at the groundbreaking, and it just says, the groundbreaking happened, and nothing else. It's, it's the writer the who is holding the shovel, the guy who's writing the article about the event. Oh, Tona. Tona. Oh, my God. Oh, also, Talisman, you mentioned uh, Scott smokes the same cigarette brand as Jack Smile. Notice really. that. Scott has left a note on the photo, kind of for Lisey, or about her. This is the moment that brought their relationship really into focus for yes, me. Yes, yeah. Because the what it has written on this photo is, uh, like, gotta show Lisey. I bet she'll think it's as funny as I do, kind of, like, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's because they both know that what this moment was and the fact that her heel... Just her heel mm-hmm. is in it. And knowing that Lisey won't care, she'll think it's funny. But will she understand? But will she understand? And he thinks she will. Yeah. So, well, let's go back and let's stay there and figure out what the fuck happened. Because <laughs> this book teases you with it for so long. 
So they're at this ribbon cutting and there are all it's these. A, it's a groundbreaking for a, for new, a library. new library at the school he went to or. No, I think it was just a. He was well, just making know. an appearance. Yeah, he's, yeah, a he's getting author. paid like a lot to come there and, and make a little speech and cut the river, you know, do the shovel of dirt, the first shovel. And there are all these people around because he's a very popular author. This is a couple years into their relationship. And Lisi just has, she's been having this bad feeling, this omen all day because she's not superstitious, but that morning she broke a glass and her mom had a saying about breaking a glass, which uh, I did not break a glass at night. Your husband's shot in the evening. Oh, yeah. perfect. Yep, exactly. And so she is noticing what her and Scott refer to as or what she refers to as a deep space cowboy nearby, <laughs> a, a, a super crazy fan, a constant reader, the likes of like Annie Wilkes, I yes. guess, except not as charming. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't the, gotten his whole backstory. <laughs> I was heartbroken reading this line. I, I made a note of it. She's watching him kind of show off for the crowd. And he does this like twirly thing with the spade in his hand. And she's like, I didn't know he could do that. And the, the line is, how lucky do you have to be for your love to outrace your time? Fuck, that was that my end me? quote for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so as the crowd disperses, she notices that the space cowboy isn't moving with the crowd, but against it. And he is muttering something. And that thing is, the church bells came down Angel Street. That run gut sound like rain on a tin roof, dirty flowers, dirty and sweet. And that's how the church bells sound in my basement, as if you didn't know. And he starts yelling this. I I this part is so cool because it it plays into that same feeling that we were talking about earlier of like how much of this is literal like th- a lot of yeah. this isn't literal I don't think uh like but as Lissy as Scott is walking away not paying attention right mm-hmm. and she sees this guy coming and she says that even over the crowd she can hear perfectly what this guy is saying which isn't possible, obviously. <laughs> and then once he, the, once the action starts, she says that she's glued to the ground. She that that feeling like in dreams, yeah. where you are trying to run and you can't. Mm-hmm. But this is real. This is happening. It's just written in a very, very dreamlike manner that I think really fits like traumatic events. Uh, It feels like, oh, this can't be happening. I would argue that all of the flashbacks so far have that same dreamlike quality. So it it does put you off a little bit. It's almost like you're dreaming about the things she's dreaming about. I think it's the the detail, like the relentless details, Mm -hmm. like Ben talking about the she could not have been hearing him perfectly. I think that when she remembers it now, she remembers hearing these things. And and the because she's remembered it over the past 18 years, this is how it's gone in her head. Mm-hmm. So she's the only one who's noticed this guy and she sees what's about to happen. She's trying to move. She's frozen. And then finally she can move. And he shoots Scott in the, in the chest. In the chest. In the not Yeah, not in the heart. But Scott's still trying. Like he doesn't seem to realize he's been shot. And she's watching as just this his shirt is getting dark with blood and trying to get to him. Do you guys want to talk about how this unfolds? It's 
all, like I said, it's all happening in slow motion for Lizzie as she is trying uh, to get to him to the point where uh, a girl walks in front of her and briefly blocks her sight of Scott. But it feels like like just the split second it would take for mm-hmm. someone to pass across, uh, pass in front of you. And she, it's so important she has time to note it, right? Mm-hmm. But as uh, this happens, it breaks and she shoves this girl aside, right? And she sees, uh, what's his name? Gerd? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Blondie, as yeah. we begin to know her. <laughs> she can see how precisely his hand moves to aim at Scott's heart. And she knows, I'm not going to make it in time. Mm-hmm. There's no way I can make it in time. And then she brains the guy with a shovel. Yeah, she does. First, she smacks the gun. Like she. Well, hits. doesn't it like go? Yeah, isn't it, it goes. One up, hit? It's one yeah. swing. Oh, that yeah. was yeah. It's one swing as time finally catches <laughs> up, and she is able to sprint forward. She swings up and knocks the gun into the air, and uh, uh lands this silver spade across the guy's mouse uh breaking uh, what's like all not, the damage shatters like 90 his yeah. his the, orbital uh, shattered. Bro- shatters he's absolutely wrecked mm-hmm. and goes down but then she she does not she cares that she stopped him but she cares obviously that Scott now at this point has gone down mm-hmm. Well, and, he's, or, oh, he's walking he's away. He's walking away. Yeah, yeah he hasn't come uh, She, Because that's why he's not in the photo. She tosses the shovel to the security guard. The, the guy no, who's the, there uh, to the write writer. the article. So, so the, to the guy, God, I keep getting it switched around. Mostly because I keep thinking about, I need to ask you guys, what is a perfectly huge patch of orifice? A uh, perfectly huge badge of office. Badge of office. Thank you for fu- it's the only thing I can think I, that it would make sense. I could not for the. I stared at that phrase <laughs> for like so long and could not. Okay, that makes way more sense because he's like the head of security. Mm, yeah. Got it. Uh, but yeah, after, so you know that picture has taken place after all of that, uh, which is why only her heels in it. I and- just. It's great that this massive backstory for this. And the writer gets the the credit for saving the day. Yeah, yeah. and he looks. She can see the puzzled look on his <laughs> face as he's holding it. Yeah, because it happens so fast. Like the crowd even doesn't know yeah. that he's shot. Yet. Yeah, he's looking at the spade as though it could it could have been a mortar shell yeah. or something. He's still trying to feel like he can't figure out what's in his hands. And so she's following, trying to follow Scott. And this is interesting too. And it really made me feel like King was writing from experience or what he could imagine if this happened to them. She knows that if she doesn't get to him as soon as possible, the crowd is going to kill him, kill him with their smothering, their their concern and their love. And he's, he, she can hear him like starting to wheeze and he starts to go down and she makes her way through the crowd. And he is on the ground and she can hear him saying, it's very close, I can't see it, but I hear it taking its meal and grunting. And he's like, mm. and if you want to be done with me, I'll call it. That. Let's talk about how he calls it, because this is horrifying. This moment is so fucked. <laughs> uh, he, he's, oh, yeah, I, I'm really <laughs> fucked up over this, it, because <laughs> I can just see this scene so clearly. He's whispering, 
and she's she's looking at him and seeing how the blood coming from his mouth makes him look like a grinning clown. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he's excited like a kid. He's saying, "It's here. I can I can hear it. You you want to hear it? You do you want it to come? I can make it come." And he makes this snorting noise. That's, he, he's it, blowing air out of his yeah, bloody blood, misty. Blood <sighs> is spurting from his lips as he is making this grunting noise. And she thinks it's real. Mm-hmm. I, it is It is close. And if he makes that sound louder, it will come. And I won't see it. Mm. We won't see it. But it will come and then Scott will be gone. Yeah. And it's so goddamn scary i nah (laughs) lisi comes out of this memory to some voicemails and with one of note a male voice she doesn't recognize saying three words i'll try again and those three words chill her and that's all that's all we get we are then in another dream and we're, we're continuing this story she is in the hospital after his bullet has been removed and he's in recovery oh wait hold on i'm sorry i was i i was distracted you really glazed over that. I'll try again. That hit me so hard. Did that? Did that not like freak you guys out? Because yeah. it's she has just come out of this reverie about her husband being a, attempted to be killed. Because that's another thing. Is obviously this happened in 1998. Scott didn't die until 2004. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he survives this, but having chronologically in the book just heard about this attempt on his life and then there's a mysterious call from a voice she doesn't recognize saying i'll try again i was like what the fuck does that mean and it, the phone call is in her office in scott's yeah. studio I, I, so it's- it, it took me a second to even click that it was just saying oh i'll try calling again <laughs> i was like He's already dead. What What do you mean? I, I oh. really <laughs> thought it was going to be this GERD guy. Like, I gotcha. Having <laughs> escaped or whatever. We don't know what happened to him. Right? I absolutely had all the same thoughts. I just don't want to hog the glory of a cool moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are in another dream. She's in the hospital after Scott's bullet's been removed. He's in recovery. And he's not alone because she's there too. Not just in her dream, but it's like a mem- a dream of a memory. Is that a way to describe it? A dream of a memory. Did this give you uh, weird insomnia vibes? The way she was too high for the room. Yeah. (laughs) I do love that she's laying flat on this flying carpet because if she sat up, the fan would hit her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because that's like if you're on a flying carpet, I think you're good. Dream logic, man. Yeah. So anyway, this again, this is a 1988, and she is thinking. She's looking at this version of herself. And she's thinking about how she is so ready to get out of this state. Like, that's what she's thinking at the time and get home, which shouldn't be too much longer because she has reason to know that Scott is a fast healer. We're going to leave it at that for now. And the dream ends in a very fascinating way. She's trying to tell her past self something. Do you guys want to talk about what happens here? (laughs) Yeah. Lisi is telling Scott what happened to him, but how he wound up in the hospital uh, so 88 Lisi is talking to Scott while present Lisi is watching from above and she's realizing that either 
he actually doesn't remember or he's faking it. Because she's told him like three times as he comes in and out mm-hmm. of consciousness. And present Lisi is trying to tell 88 Lisi he's 100% faking it. And she's shouting to her and she thinks she for a second she's getting through. And then Scott just blows. No, he looks he, at oh, her. Oh yeah, he at looks her. at her and then blows at her and she just flies off. Kind of like he blew earlier when he was saying he could make the thing come. Interesting. So is she really there? That's interesting. I don't know. I'm going to sound stupid probably in episode two or three of this. <laughs> so Lisey wakes up. Yeah, when Matthew McConaughey doesn't show up with oh, his dad. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Lisey wakes up from this dream knowing that she has to find the silver spade she used to stay- save Scott's life. But not why yet. And as she goes about her day, thinking about the past, his voice keeps coming to her, insisting that she find it. And then the voice in her head says something else. I left you a note. And it is so just unexpected in this moment that she's asking her empty kitchen, like, okay, Scott, are you a ghost? Are you haunting (laughs) me? And in response to this question, the window in the kitchen is open and a gust of wind (laughs) blows through. I I love it. It's so fun. It's I love the the subtlety of all of the supernatural mm-hmm. things so far because that moment feels so real to mm-hmm. me. Like, I, I love that she is a, a skeptic. Like, she doesn't believe in ghosts. Yeah. But... The moment in real life you have a dramatically timed wind, you feel pretty rad. That's You're true. like, I know this is bullshit, but damn. <laughs> <laughs> So she goes out to the barn turned study to look for the spade and the phone begins to ring and it is one of Lisey's other sisters, Darla, and she's calling from her sister Amanda's house, which is not good. And we didn't mention this, but Amanda, of course, we said has had some mental health issues and had been married and divorced and her husband left and her kids left and Lisey was worried about her. So her and Scott being more well off basically bought her a house near them and just have her nearby so they can help her and keep an eye on her. So would one of you like to describe why Darla is suddenly calling Lisey? So Darla and Amanda are the two eldest and have always had a really contentious relationship back and forth. And Lisey always found herself being kind of the peacekeeper. And it was after Amanda's last break that the family did the bygones bygones thing. And Darla stepped up to help some more but it's not something that you know she's not the first call usually Mm -hmm. and so darla's that's what alarms her initially and darla says she's been set off uh she found out her ex-boyfriend who just went to france came back married to a french woman and she snapped and she hurt herself Mm -hmm. and darla sounds exhausted and beat we find out why later but mm-hmm. uh says you know that the only person who can get her to calm down is going to be lisi so lisi yeah. she needs her to come be back up and she thinks that she was drinking her own blood because her mouth is bloody but she can't find any cuts or, yeah. or anything in her mouth while talking to darla lisi spotted the spade of course and looking at it gives her this strength kind of like a talisman which made me think of the talisman And it's next to a box of Scott's stuff. And when she opens it, there's something interesting inside. It's the the top page of what looks to be 
a manuscript. 1,000 pages. Yeah, not just any manuscript, but like looks like a big novel, which is a, a big deal. And it's called, what's it called? Ike uh, Comes Home. Ike Comes Home by Scott Landon. And she stares at it and she's like, oh, wow, this is, when could he have written this? It's possible, <laughs> but it, it seems like he like. She generally she, knows his work. Yeah, yeah. She, he shares with her um, what he's working on and lets her read what she wants. And, mm-hmm. But she had never heard of this, so she's interested. I love the reveal, but yeah, we'll we don't, get to that in a Yeah, minute. because she's interrupted by the phone ringing again. And it's not Darla, it's Zach McCool. <laughs> I'm so mad that Zach McCool isn't a good guy that I can love. Because <laughs> when he he answers, and it's this kind of soft-spoken... Real calm. Uh, very calm, southern, a guy with a, kind of a southern lilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh. Oh, yeah. Sorry, it's... Oh, oh maybe... Oh, I don't want to... Okay, I'm going to sound crazy. <laughs> I like... I don't know if you're saying you liked him. I'm going to say you. I liked him, too. In and the just, first, and there's yeah, no reason for no, it. No, because he's, like, n- not a safe person. Like, you can tell there's something weird here, but he's just so calm. And I kept thinking, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I craving just this gentle calmness? It's because Lisi and her sisters and, like, everything that's going on, everybody seems like such a like, outraged bitch all the time. That it was a nice contrast. Everyone's at an 11. Z- yeah. Zach McCool's at a, he's at cool. a three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, my thing was he he answers the phone and he's just like, howdy, ma'am. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Or yeah. Is this your just, southern accent? I'm working on it. <laughs> and it's just like, it seems very calm. And once again, there was no, no reason that mm-hmm. I should have thought this right away. But my first thought was... This is a secret confidant of Scott's because Scott has been like talking to Lisi and seemingly leading her to this spade. Right. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I thought this was going to be, listen, I can't tell you who I am, but like you just found this (laughs) magic shovel and (laughs) there's danger afoot. There's a big crazy monster called the Long Boy, and I have to lead you to the clues to get to your husband's secret treasure. I don't know, but I, <laughs> for whatever reason, I wanted this guy to be like, On I side. thought this was a, a good guy. Yeah. There's no reason for me to think that. Oh, no, and he's it goes super away. Bad guy. Oh, yeah. As soon as he's like, listen, and what is he? He's just like, you need to shut up and listen to me, basically. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, damn. Uh, Zach McCool. Oh, <laughs> come on. I thought you were calm, McCool, and collected, buddy. <laughs> yeah. No, his, his issue is that he. Glad you're proud of that one, bud. <laughs> Good job. Proud Thanks. of you. So we find out that Zach McCool is working for somebody who we won't identify, but Lisi knows who it is. And she calls him out on it. She's like, it's a wood body. It's so obvious. Oh, of course. And he's like, there's a guy who you don't need to know, even though you're supposed to send him this stuff, that you, you need to send this to him and then we'll be okay. But if you don't, I'm going to hurt you where you wouldn't let the boys touch you. It's very upsetting. This is a real first draft threat. <laughs> Like the the way it's the like you said somebody I we don't need to talk about who 
but you need to give him to this specific college. <laughs> it's just, it's not yeah. a very well thought out. Oh, I thought you meant I the think, th- last threat. Oh, like, no, that's no. pretty dark. I think, yeah, I got you. Yeah, this guy, you can tell he is, that he's calm in his delivery, but you can tell that he wants, I, I, got, I never let go of the, the fact that he wants to be able to follow through with this. He doesn't want her to, to actually give it in. He thought that it was going to go a different way, so mm. he wasn't prepared for making all these threats. <laughs> he just is so crazy that he thought she's going to be like, oh, okay, sure. The way she ends this phone call yes, is the how does fucking she end best. It? So he's, he's dropped this sexual assault threat on her uh, on top of the violence, and she gets real quiet and, you know, it's like literally lures him in and she can tell he's got his ear pressed to the phone and she yells, go fuck yourself. <laughs> she screams <laughs> it. At the top of her lungs, slams the phone down. He calls back immediately and she yanks the cord out <laughs> of the wall. Fucking badass Lisey rules. And then before she heads out to Amanda's, she lifts up that first page of this manuscript and finds a strange message. <laughs> Ike came home with a boom and everything was fine. Bool, the end. And every page after that... Is completely blank. Yep. It is a big box of blank paper. And she wonders, like, is this a Scott prank? But on who? Like, people like Woodbody? But that would mean that he had... She thinks that would mean he knew he was going to die. And he, like, prepared this for that. And so she wonders why he didn't say anything. Because she was always the practical one. and But she still would have believed him had he said, I know I'm going to die. So she finally heads to Amanda's. But we do get um, some foreshadowing because at some point she puts, well, I think, Amanda's notebook in her back pocket and has forgotten it. But it says that she would become aware of it in the fullness of time. That made me wonder what the length of time of this book is. I thought it was going to be just a day. So uh, far, it's been like 24 been hours. Two, yeah. Uh, well, by the time, end of this reading, it'll be two days. And I have to imagine like the spade has power. So this notebook maybe has power. Oh, I want to mention too, she crosses Deep Cut Road from Dreamcatcher. Nice. So she's barely out of her car when Darla comes running out of the house with blood on her because the moment she left Amanda unattended with a cup of tea after she'd taken away all the knives, Amanda broke the glass and started cutting herself. Um, I also want to mention periodically throughout this and shortly before leading up to it, Lisey's been having brief, we kind of talked about it earlier, those brief flashbacks of Scott just stepping out of the dark with a bloody hand, which is so, like, the where it comes in in this story that's otherwise been pretty straightforward, like, story about grief is just really effective and disturbing. I'm glad we got to it by the end of the section, because mm-hmm. if, mm-hmm. if we hadn't, yeah, I would Yeah, it'd be frustrating. Yeah. Blood everywhere in this kitchen. Like, she cut herself and then kind of had a... She she made it. She it was like um, uh, Vera Donovan with poop. Yeah, it was it was blood everywhere to be a, as I guess dramatic is is mm-hmm. kind of what how yeah. Darla describes it. So Darla, before they take off, has to go to the bathroom. I'm sorry, the way Lizzie describes it, she <laughs> has to. It, it's whizzing a little lemonade and blotting the old bush. <laughs> Christ, the, the phrases <laughs> this family came up with. Okay, but more importantly, Lizzie. Lisey tells Darla that they need to take Amanda to the ER and she's she's kind of going into this sort of semi-catatonic state when she whispers something to Lisey or we just whisper something in front of her I guess I don't unprompted she says bool and Lisey's flesh grows cold 
She has a feeling everything that's happening is related and it's all tied to Scott. Lisey's handling this really well. She's explaining to Darla basically like, we're we're going to do whatever is in everyone's best interest. If she can go there and she can talk to the doctors, it's probably a good sign. We can watch her and we'll keep her safe. She can come home with us. If she won't respond to the doctors, probably means that she needs to stay and be observed overnight or over the next two days. And that chapter ends with Lisey thinking about how she's not the kind of woman who is lost without a man. And she's had a full life without him. He was sometimes even a handful, but there were days you know, recently that she has missed him so fiercely that she's felt empty like a dead tree filled with a cold November blow and wondering what good love was if it came to this, to even 10 seconds of feeling like this. Fuck! Yeah. I I also like that there's a nod to Lisa, or her real name is Lisa. Mm -hmm. There's a nod to Lissy being a strong, independent woman, because I believe she is. Mm -hmm. But also, boy, howdy, does this book not pass the Bechdel test? (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Not even a little bit. Do you guys want to... They go to the ER, and I mean, stuff happens, but nothing I felt, unless you guys want to mention anything. I just want to ask why Lissy counts these car crash people as a good thing. Because they distract the doctor so that... They don't ask too many oh, questions, and they can they because okay. they want to bring Amanda home. So it it provides just enough. I I did not catch that. I did not yeah. get that because she's <laughs> like, oh, was, uh, thank goodness that these this car crash family, no one got hurt. Otherwise, I wouldn't count it as a good thing. They all seemed fine, so it was great for me. And I was like, what? Why? Then I thought I missed something. So when they get back home, Lisi lets Darla go, and she's going to stay over with Amanda. And she's trying to ask her about Scott and blood bulls, but when she looks into Amanda's eyes, she sees peace and decides not to burden her with it. So they fall asleep, and Lisey, she wakes up in this book so much, (laughs) wakes up in the middle of the night to a memory, has a dream of a memory or something. Sure. And here we find out what all of this, like, Scott coming out of the dark, bloody thing is. What did you guys think of this section? Let's talk about what happens. This might be my favorite section we've read so far. It is so creepy and really puts Scott, at least for me, in a way different light. Yep. Because he has been described not not as, like, the perfect man or anything, but in a very real... Normal dude. Normal dude. Their relationship feels like a real relationship yeah. you feel the love you feel the just weirdness of two people trying to get along together you know mm-hmm. uh it's very sweet it's very obviously loving it's great and then we get this chapter of their much younger scott is 24 i think they say yeah i think about 24 um and she's 22 they're not something. living together they're yet not or married. living together they're dating uh, he's in college still, although he is now two novels in, um, on the verge of becoming this super massive, famous writer. But she is at home after work pissed because mm-hmm. he was supposed to come over. They were supposed to have a date that she didn't even want to go on because it's some Swedish movie or something. She didn't want to not go on a date with him. Yeah, but, yeah. she wanted to see him, but she the activity she wasn't interested in. Yeah, yeah. So she's at home pissed, waiting up for him, and he's hours late. Five hours late. And And drunk. (laughs) And And when he shows up, he's like, oh, baby, sorry, we got distracted. Reminded me of Jack and Wendy in that moment. 
Really? Her waiting for him and they're in college and him coming home drunk. It, mm. it, 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 the similarities ended sure. <laughs> very quickly, but it just kind of put me back in that moment. That sure. Space. But uh, unlike uh, anything Wendy ever did, she flips out and goes off. If only Wendy had done this. <laughs> Fuck. And goes off on him about how dare you... Tell me, come here and tell me that uh, talking about this dead author was more important than me. And then continues going with less relevant. Uh, like picking at everything. Like, yeah. What's in, like, can we talk about, though, the most interesting part of her yelling at him or arguing with him mm. or arguing at him because he's just sitting silently is just her thought that she can hurt him because she knows he loves her enough that mm -hmm. she she can hurt him and she decides I am going to hurt him because I can. What did you guys think of that? It was the moment that she says that she can see the things that others can't because she's not glamored by him. Mm -hmm. And those are the, the soft targets she hits. And but yeah, then that, that next step was I know I see in his eyes that I am hurting him and I know I can do more. Makes her feel powerful. I'm going to go for it. I get it. Yeah, it's I mean, I can't I'm not going to say we all, but fair amount of us had those arguments and relationships in our early 20s mm -hmm. that you definitely say things you wish you could take back. It's just such a weird thing, it, in, especially like in light of everything we've had about their relationship, just how it's described, that we would come to understand their love and how much she like realizes he loves her. Like this is a revelation moment for mm -hmm. her, but just shrouded in this darkness because she goes she crosses her own line mm -hmm. and then has to sit in the silence afterwards because she she says, I don't remember what I said, but I know it was very specific. Yeah. And then it, she says, I wish I could say something after, but we had to be in the silence for a while. Yeah. And I find it interesting that in response to this pretty toxic outburst from uh, from Lissy, he responds with what I would argue is a lot worse. <laughs> it, if it weren't for all of the mystery of it and, and like the, the things mm -hmm. we've gotten, I would have seen this as like a very manipulative tactic. Exactly. Because he, he takes all this in you as she keeps going, the smile falls from his face and tears well up in his eyes. And his, his response is to say, he grins like a crazy person and says, wait, and then walks off into the darkness. And as she stands in the doorway, wanting to call his name, but not daring, because then he would know she's not mad at him. This is so cinematic. <laughs> uh, it, it really is. She hears breaking glass. Like from down the road. From down the road. And she thinks the greenhouses are down there. Is, was that him? And she's just waiting and hearing all the noises of this college town they're living in. And finally, when he comes back, he she sees his shadow limping towards her, holding out what she had earlier in the book described as not a hand. Like a bloody her, mass. A, a, a mass of flesh on the end of his arm as saying, look, Lissy, it's a blood pool. It's for you. It's so fucked. Well, you know what's even more fucked? 
she recognizes, understands somehow that he means it as a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An atonement. And she, her realizing he's not just in love with her, but he's half in love with death. Oh, and that killed me. And ready to agree with any cruel thing she could ever say about him. <laughs> this makes me, I think this part is the part more than anything else that made it really hard to stop reading this Yes. Book. Because I have to know what the fuck a blood pool is. Mm-hmm. Because all we know so far is we, we more or less get what a bool is. It's a, a joke. Pr- a prank. It's a prank. Yeah. It's or uh sometimes or a, she says it's a it's a like treasure a scavenger hunt. hunt. Yeah. yeah, scavenger hunt. But it, it's it's a game, right? Mm-hmm. But then but then there's the blood bull. It's a sacrifice? What is it? All right. So this is the moment that my the my abuse thing for where this being a real place came in is because the way he explains it is that the blood bull is it's an apology. It's something that dad taught me and Paul. He explains it in the voice of a child, which is creepy. (laughs) And says and basically says that if you give a blood bull and say you're sorry, everything's forgiven. Like that means it's all over. And because of that sharp regression after taking that abuse and how it's explained, I was like, oh, their family's seen a lot of blood bulls yeah. to just yeah. say, look, I did this to myself. No, and you can't now be mad I at said me. sorry. So that means everything's fine. And and she has this very real moment where she's like, oh, oh he's no. crazy. Mm-hmm. Do I want to deal with this? Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) This is also the moment that I made a note that it's very clear at this point how much both of them wanted to get as far away from their childhoods as Mm -hmm. possible. We don't know what happened to Lisey that has sent her away from her whole family, but that's kind of what Mm -hmm. the section says is that she got out of Dodge without telling anybody. Yeah, something about Big Ma or what they call her. The, their mother, good ma, good ma because and her like, sisters resent her for not sticking around and, and passing on her to poison it. to her sisters, all except yeah. one. And it there, and they haven't told each other about their histories either. So she's learning all this. She didn't even know he had a brother, Paul, who died, I think, when they were kids, mm-hmm. and well, his mom died giving say. birth. Yeah. To him, and and he just the childlike words he uses really bothered me when. When it's said that his response about his mother dying is told as a joke, that he mm-hmm. he's repeating the joke, not realizing it's a joke, is that like, his dad oh, told him. yeah, that means that. So that's something your dad just casually said a whole bunch, <sighs> buddy. So she wants him to go to the ER to get stitches, and he's like, "No, it's always crazy on Friday nights. <laughs> if you want me to go in the morning, I will. But I have a home remedy. Remedy. Paul, actually, my brother, made this up and. It's uh, soaking his hand in tea bags. <laughs> Why not? But it works because the next morning he's scabbed up and it's she's telling herself like the cuts couldn't have been as deep as I thought they were because there's no way they would be that healed. And then we find out like later on he doesn't even scar from it. But it was definitely something you would scar from. So something there. And the, oh, that's when we also hear that uh, the prize is a kiss. Yeah, Daddy's kiss is a prize when uh, the uh, yeah, Daddy's kiss is the prize when the hurting stops. Uh, no. 
Oh, and Paul made good bulls, treasure hunts. Mm-hmm. So they go to bed, and she wakes up in the middle of the night to pee, and Scott's not in bed. So she's like, hey, hurry it up. And she is waiting, and then she finally goes in the bathroom, and he's not there, and she looks, and he is in the bed. <laughs> but she knew. Fucking bull. Did he go dim? No. Now, this is where I agree with Josh's theory that we are going to learn that this is uh, there is a place he goes uh, so he's not going fits, dim he's traveling it fits <laughs> with the the night food theory that between these hours there's some rift that he mm-hmm. there's some place he can go to in the night mm-hmm. that's what i'm assuming yeah. happened yeah. that he is that for a while, he's just not there. It reminds me of the fairy tales about people like getting lost and coming on the fairy upon the fairy rings, and like you're not supposed to yeah. take food or drink, mm. and they can trick it. Yeah. So she manages to fall asleep again and wakes up at four a.m. to a marriage proposal. <laughs> so fucking weird, but they love each other. <laughs> uh, after, but from her perspective. Girl, you gotta run. Yeah, absolutely. From her perspective, she like yelled at him, but not that. Like that's not a reason to go maim yourself. Yeah, what test did she pass from his perspective that she's marriage material? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's a red flag it's, for sure. He essentially says that he has never seen himself as a. He has people who adore him. He has fans. He has friends. He says that she is the only person who, outside of his dad and his brother, that has ever made him feel loved. Uh. And that's, (laughs) I mean, that's where it's uh, enough for him, obviously. Uh, Everything we get in the past just, like, colors the relationship we've heard that seemed normal and well, yeah. and it, it does. We don't know what happened in Lisey's background, but the fact that this happened and she said yes tells me that this is not super m- abnormal. Yeah, yeah, like this level of, of extreme response yeah. is not unusual to her. Let's go to a, a true horror moment. She wakes up from this in the present, pressed up against Amanda's back the way she used to press herself against Scott. And it has a weirdest feeling that even though she's looking at the back of her sister's head, she can see her hair. She knows she's in bed with Scott and then something happens. I like she asks and it specifically says whomever, not her sister, asks Mm -hmm. whomever why Amanda, why Amanda said bull and Scott's voice comes out of her sister and uh, says, I left you a bull. Well, the, the voice doesn't oh, come. Yeah, baby love. I was going to say, it yeah. doesn't come to her response because she is thinking, I don't want to ask a question. I don't want to speak because what if I talk and Scott answers? And before she can talk, Scott says, love, baby love. And uh, she goes, oh, fuck. Oh boy. And, and he, so, jeez. It gets weirder. She's told that, you know, she's on this journey and the one she's on is a good bull and it goes behind the purple and she's already found the first three stations a few more and she'll get her prize which is a drink maybe an rc maybe a coke and then she feels something changes and she knows that she's not going to get another response and she freaks out she starts shouting at amanda and shaking her 
But Amanda doesn't mind because she's fully gone. She is catatonic. So we, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but Lucy spends just a very a heartbreaking morning trying to get Amanda to respond and trying to feed her and get her to go to the bathroom. And she wets herself. The eggs fall out of her mouth. Her sister comes over and tries, and it's the same thing. And so Lisey's like, "We, I think this is it. Like, We are going to have to call Green Lawn Recovery and Rehab in Auburn, and we're going to have to have her committed. And it's been like five years since she had hurt herself. She had visited this place before, and we're about to find that there's a lot more history there that <laughs> Lisey didn't know about. So let's talk about what happens. I love that she says, you know, it's been all these years, and I'm still getting messages from Scott. And in my head, I'm, you know, we're thinking of, I was thinking, you know, finding the the, the bulls and stuff. Mm -hmm. But no, it's when she calls, there's been a note left in her file because she also says it's that she's Mrs. Scott Landon to play the famous card. Which she's, this is the first time yeah. she's used. <laughs> and come to find out that the doctor and Scott had had lunch. He'd signed some books for him for the eventual nature that this might happen and the message is, uh, Scott's like, man, if you ever talk to her, you should ask her about the time I, I booled that nurse in Tennessee. <laughs> and like, <laughs> that's, except for he says fooled, but she knows he said mm -hmm. booled. And it's just, it's so funny that, you know, Scott, Scott's already taken care of this. He took care of this years ago. But it also points to that thing that she had thought earlier that like, did he know he was going to die? Because if he mm -hmm. left this message specifically for her years ago, yeah, like how early was he setting up this bull? How <sighs> how far are we from the reveal of what that bull is? Should I just go ahead and say it now? Sure. Uh, the bull is that when he was in the hospital after his gunshot wound, he did the same thing to the nurse that he did to Lisi in their bed together. Where the nurse walked in, he was gone. She searched turned back and he was back in his bed gone to the point where the iv the iv bag was still there yeah so there was just a, a an empty needle laying on the bed mm -hmm. and then when she went back to check he was there again Ugh. wild yeah so this this is a sad scene as the van comes to pick up amanda and take her away and basically she's never coming home again and darla makes her way back home Listening to a book on tape by Michael Noonan from Bag of Bones. Nice. Another haunted love story that we haven't covered on this podcast. But And Lisey's driving home after locking up Amanda's house. And the whole way home, she keeps like reaching over and touching the spade for comfort. And she passes this unfamiliar PT cruiser. No big deal. Waves, because that's what you do in the country. It's Zach McCool, but we find yeah, out obviously. later. <laughs> Did and everyone knew that that's yeah. who it was. The vanity <laughs> license plate that said McCool on it was the giveaway <laughs> for me. And she keeps thinking about Scott and their time together, but it's too painful. So she's pushing these memories away, thinking she's not meant to push it away. And she wonders if her memories are stations of the bull, whatever that means. <laughs> and she caves and buys some cigarettes on the way home. Um, that's where she kind of flashes back to the nurse and she comes to and she smoked like three cigarettes and <laughs> does not remember that. And she's realizing that that moment for her was another station. She's past this this landmark and Scott is leading her back into the past and she's scared. And when she gets home, she she, she sees that she has some mail in her mailbox. 
I don't want to talk about Just, it. It's so <laughs> it's so much mail. It's it won't the mailbox won't even close. It's so stuffed full. There's bills. There's magazines. There's a cat. A dead cat. A dead cat in the back. But I love that this horrifying moment happens, and then she laughs. One because it's so over the top, and two, she doesn't own a cat. <laughs> I also laughed when I read that. It, <laughs> I couldn't possibly laugh, but I understand. <laughs> it, Just, it does show, yeah. like, because up to this point, I had definitely thought that Zach was like, oh, this is like a hired person. This is hired muscle. He's it's so calm and collected that he must be a professional. And this shows, nope, mm-hmm. he's just some violent dumbass who saw a cat and was like, yeah, I'll kill that. And it's it's weird because he leaves her a note and the note, like he clearly um, cannot write very well. Mm. But my impression of him was that he was an avid reader because he's obsessed with Scott Landon. Is he? Well, I think does it was, he even read the books? I think it was a it well because it's a typewritten, and I assume he just didn't want to do corrections. I think he was typing too fast and misspelled. This is written as someone who can't spell. <laughs> I have it. Like it is described as someone who doesn't. Did it say he was an avid reader? Uh, why does he we'll care about Scott it. Landon so much? He, He's yeah he. Okay, we're about to get yeah. there. Anyway, so she begins this horrific process of cleaning up the mess, destroying the evidence. Isn't even then, thinking about that. And but, then eats some hamburger helper. What'd you call it? It's, it's, I just have to point I out. Like because I, I actually do think it was earlier in the book she makes hamburger helper. And it's just a throwaway line that it's uh, what Scott would have called eating nasty. I want to eat nasty. <laughs> I, sounds it great. sounds like eating ass is what it sounds like. Oh, no, like. it just sounds like eating just shit, like I, comfort uh, food, bad, bad for you stuff. Uh, my family called the food like that gut wadden. Gut wadden. That's, yeah. that's gross great. Too. It's stuff that's, stuff that's just good. edible. You eat it and you're like, yeah, I'm full now, so yeah. I guess I'm good I'm eating good flavor enough. shapes. But it's... <laughs> <laughs> Flavor shapes? I think you just mean SpaghettiOs. That's what I call like processed food. It's just shapes with flavor. <laughs> I love that so much. Anyway, I just had to bring up Eatin' Nasty because it is such, it is one of the two things of all of the, the Scott and Lissyisms that I'm like, Stephen King, no. That means something else. I didn't even notice. we have gotten almost to the end of our reading today and we have not said the words strap it on yet. <laughs> Stephen King, we need to talk because that has a meaning that you don't intend. It's like when I talk on our podcast. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's why eating nasty never that's, clicked with me. That's terrific. Okay. Let's move forward. Anyway. Well, now that Lucy's strapped on. <laughs> yeah, she's strapped on. She's eating nasty. And she's making a phone call. Strapping she's it on she's and nasty. Calling, calling dirty. That's uh, when you call somebody to yell at him. Call calling him. dirty. Oh, God. I just, God, I got that. I, I ate a nasty base so that I could strap it on for this dirty call. Dirty call. Oh, God. <laughs> We could have written what this book. What is happening? 
All right, let's talk about this. She, I'll, I'll just kind of quickly sum it up, and then you guys, we can just talk about the parts we liked. She calls Woodbody, and he doesn't have this the reaction that she's expecting. And it's really cool to read about her being like way more calm than she expects she can be. And her voice is steady, and she just feels like in the zone, like she is telling him how it is. And it's like this great, powerful moment for her, which is shattered when he's like, oh, shit, that guy's crazy. I can't call him off. I love that she's she's furious, mm-hmm. rightfully so. But the second that he, she's, and she and we are expecting him to be like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. But immediately he's like, oh, fuck, no, this is really bad. And she describes it as feeling a yellow thread of fear running through the red field of her anger. And that's just a real pretty turn. Of yeah, it reminds nice. me of Dreamcatcher and insomnia. Yeah. It's, sort of like the, the seeing the line mm, and then like the yellow through the red reminds me of the auras. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, wood, wood body. Wood smucky. Like, wood smucky. Jesus, I we, we never even we haven't said smucking this episode. <laughs> it's fucking anyway. Yeah. Um, Woodbody is immediately like, "Oh, I fucked up, and it's not my fault." Yeah, he's super downplays. Promise it. you won't be mad. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, "Yeah, okay." So I go out to drink every once in a while, unless he's like every day. Sure. <laughs> and I ran into this guy, James uh, Dooley. James Dooley. And Zach McCool. <laughs> the, AKA Zach McCool. And uh, we kind of hit it off talking about how much we hate you. <laughs> uh, it was mostly him. I was just passively agreeing. Exactly. I promise. Exactly. Um, and over the course of a few weeks, it progressed to where eventually this guy said, you know, if you let me, I can talk. I'm good at changing people's minds. Um, I can talk to this lady and get you the books that you want. Though earlier he told her, ma'am, I don't talk, I act. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Which is very scary. He doesn't deserve the chambray shirts he's described as. <laughs> Zero sham- chambray shirts for you, Zach McCool. <laughs> Sorry. So I really needed to say that. <laughs> Zero shirts for Zach McCool. Oh, uh, it's my favorite Dr. Seuss book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what were we Sorry. talking about? So what Woodbody's not taking ownership of yeah. anything, and he's describing how they eventually come to this agreement, sort of, they shake on it, where he's going to get her to do what Woodbody wants, hand over these materials. But then he kind of, like, ghosts him, and Woodbody's like, you know, I'm gonna think I'm going to drink at this other bar and never think of this ever again. Or warn the person I unleashed this mm. madman on. Nah, not going to uh, do that. I love, Lissy says, you know, after all of this, Lissy says, okay, you didn't, you didn't know, you didn't intentionally do this. But let me ask you, if you, if one day this guy had shown up at your house with all of Scott's papers, would you have mm-hmm. taken him? And in, he just kind of whispers, I don't know. And she's like, yeah, you piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. She does not give him a fucking Oh, inch. no. I she she tears him apart. She says <laughs> like, OK, here's what's up. Uh, I'm going to hang up and uh, 
you're you should probably tell your <laughs> you wife what's tell going your wife. on I'll because I'm it. about to call the sheriff mm-hmm. and uh, he's gonna have some questions, bud. Can I tell you guys something embarrassing? So as she's as she's telling Woodbody that if Dooley calls him, she's like, "You're gonna call the thing off," and I'm like, I, "This was I was so mad in this moment. I'm practically screaming at my book, like that's so stupid. This guy's crazy. That's not gonna work." And he should just tell him, hey, she shipped the boxes. I got everything. It's cool. But of course, that's stupid. This guy's crazy. It's not going to work. I was trying. I was trying so hard. I felt so tense in this moment. I'm like, no, do this instead because that'll work because your idea is dumb and so is mine. <laughs> but uh, she she also has this moment where she's like, okay, if he shows up, fuck it. I'll just give him the keys and we'll be done with it, which also wouldn't work. But then she she also thinks, I don't want to do that. I don't want to hand these over. And, and so there's. she's already realized that there's nothing she can do. He's going to hurt her, and he's going to find a way to excuse his behavior. He's going to make it her fault, in quotes. And we realize you know, here that there's no stopping this guy. He is on his own wavelength. And so, Ben, as you said, she closes things out, telling him, I'm going to call the cops. You're going to tell them everything. You own this. Like, you mm-hmm. bought and paid for this. It's yours. How does it feel? And after this call, she realizes, oh, fuck, I left the spade in the car. I have to go get it. Except it's gotten pretty dark outside, which leads us to just this tense, fun moment. Well, not a, fun. A very but... tense standoff with a lawnmower. <laughs> yeah, she's seeing It's the like... tensest standoff with a lawnmower I've ever read, to be fair. Yeah, out, yeah. outside of Tommyknockers. I haven't read Lawnmower Man. <laughs> but she, she gets her tool of power, and we wrap things up for now with her deciding, okay, I'm going to call... Norris Ridgwick, the Castle County Sheriff. Wild. Yeah. Okay. Am I just misremembering? I swear to Christ, Norris died. No. No? I thought he did too. I swear yeah. he dies at the end of Needful Things. No. He's, uh, if I remember right, he is, he drives the car. Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because he, he got shot or something yeah. by, mm-hmm. by Buster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So all these connections. Huh. Oh, God. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be covering through chapter 11. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, this is Joshua Khan reminding you, you love me all the way around the equator and not just for some story I wrote. When your door closes and the world's outside, we're eye to eye. <laughs> everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Lisey's Story Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. And you can send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out our merch on our Etsy store and bonus episodes on our Patreon. And I hope you enjoy this bit that didn't make the episode. Ben, did you snap when you said, hey, constant readers? No. I totally hallucinated the way. Hey, constant readers. No, I don't think so. Uh, you think Ben is so cool. <laughs> well, we'll find out when I listen yeah, back. I'm, I'm trying to think in the way my brain works. I totally could have and just, it was uh, involuntary. I don't know. I, it's fine. Okay, so. This is all on the cutting room floor anyway. <laughs> That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.